I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Bruce Chabner, a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and director of clinical research at the MGH Cancer Center at Massachusetts General Hospital. We're discussing shortages of generic drugs. Dr. Chabner, in a current perspective article, Metzger et al. examined one shortage of a cancer drug, mechlorethamine, or nitrogen mustard, and the effect it's having on children with Hodgkin's lymphoma. The drug that's had to be substituted, cyclophosphamide, turns out to be significantly less effective, and more patients have had to undergo salvage therapy that is associated with infertility and a greater risk of long-term toxic effects. How common is this story, a curable cancer that has essentially become less curable because of a drug shortage? I can't say that that's common. Uh, We experienced significant shortages of methotrexate about a year ago, another very important drug for leukemia and certain kinds of lymphomas and other other uses. And we were uh, forced to establish a priority list for patients, those that had potentially curable disease, we used the drug, but we restricted use uh, from those that, that would only be palliated, that is, is uh, helped or comforted by the treatment, but not cured. And, and that was a significant issue for us. We, we hated to do that, but the drug was just not available. I'm not uh, aware of uh, a shortage that has uh, led to uh, very significant impact on outcomes for cancer patients, but it certainly has caused a lot of other kinds of problems for us. We've heard the most about shortages of cancer drugs, but you pointed out in a perspective article last year that there are similar problems in other medical specialties. Have you heard stories from colleagues in other fields about the effects of drug shortages? Yes, I have, particularly for drugs that are used for anesthesia where the preferred agent has is a generic which has not been uh, continuously available, so there, there's been some drug substitution there. And I can't speak personally to the uh, medical effects of that substitution, which may have been significant. Uh, other commonly used things, such as electrolyte solutions, sodium and calcium solutions, for example, uh, potassium solutions have not been continuously available certain antibiotics, steroid drugs, which are useful in a variety of very commonly used and injectable steroid drugs, uh, and which have been the subject of the compounding uh, pharmacy problem, uh, those have been in short supply as well. Um, the, the impact for us is not only that certain drugs are not available, in w- which we would prefer to use in specific situations, but also it occupies our st- a huge number of people trying to find the drugs. They buy, have to buy them from alternative sources rather than the usual suppliers. It's called the gray market. Uh, they, they are not always quite certain where the drugs are coming from and, and don't have the same confidence as they would have purchasing from their, their usual suppliers. And it, it cr- creates a huge amount of staff time and needless expense. You discussed last year a number of steps that were being taken to begin addressing the problem. The FDA set up a special office for collecting information on drug shortages. There were stepped up inspections of facilities that were shut down because of production problems and requirements for drug importation were being loosened. Have any of these moves produced results? Uh, for the, I'm only really uh, knowledgeable about the cancer drug situation. We have probably had uh, some fewer uh, problems in the, the recent months, although I can't say there, there's been any long-term uh, improvement in the situation. 
Um, I haven't seen any major uh, loosening of requirements for bringing drugs in from outside manufacturers and from manufacturers outside the United States. I know that there are significant companies in Europe which are pro are providing drug for uh, the, the other parts of the world uh, and which could help, very much could help our, our, uh, solve our problem and that are, are not now currently importing into the United States. And I don't know whether the FDA has really made any overtures to encourage them to bring drug into the United States. As you say, there are some major companies that have generic products that are sold overseas but not here. Why, why haven't they been brought into the U.S.? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. One, in, the facilities have to be inspected by the FDA and approved. And uh, secondly, um, we have tried to solve the problem internally. And so it, it's an additional administrative burden to bring in the outside uh, suppliers. Uh, the other thing is that the, the incentive for the outside suppliers to come into the U.S. market is is not great because our prices are kept relatively low by Medicare legislation, uh, long-standing legislation, which controls uh, price increases in the U.S. And, and this has has contributed, I think, in a significant way to the the fact that we we don't have a, a number of suppliers for each of these drugs. You and and others have recommended changes to the Hatch-Waxman Act including adding a requirement that there be a plan for meeting projected yeah. demand before a drug is approved. Has there been any action on that front? I think people are, are, are actually thinking about this now in Congress. There are a series of hearings coming up on the drug shortage problem, which will address a number of new issues that weren't uh, previously considered in any detail. I think this, this could, could make a difference. It seems to me that when a drug company is given a license to market a product, that there should also be with it an obligation like there is with a utility to, to provide the, the vital resource to the public. And these are vital resources um, in the same way that electricity and, and uh, other uh, communications are regulated. I think that when you get a license to market a drug, you should be prepared to provide that drug and to be sure that your facilities are up to date and, and uh, capable of that. You mentioned price, increasing reimbursement for generic drugs to make them more profitable for the manufacturers. You've said in the past that this would have a minimal effect on the total cost of cancer care, but what about other medical specialties? Where would you find the balance between incentives for the manufacturers and the benefits of cost and access for patients? Well, th the issue for the manufacturer is pretty straightforward. If they have a choice of, they have a facility which is available and a choice of making uh, drug A versus drug B and they're reimbursed uh, very generously for drug B, which is not a generic, it's, it's on patent, versus drug A, which is on patent and which for which the price is, is uh, very stringently controlled, they're gonna make the drug which makes them uh, gives them a better profit and that means that investment in upgrading facilities and making sure that there's good quality control all of that is expensive and if you're forced to sell a drug at a very low price you're not going to be uh, very happy to do that and to get into this market so i think that we have to we have to to consider the economic incentive as well uh, it's it's a very small fraction of the cost of pharmaceuticals in the U.S. because patented drugs are sold at such a higher price. Uh, I think we could afford a small increase in the generic uh, uh, price index without 
uh, having a great uh, impact on the cost of medication. Have compounding pharmacies offered a partial solution to these drug shortages? And, and if so, are the current quality issues uh, raising some flags? I think that, that that would not be the best solution. I, we, we really have to solve the bigger problem of how we deal with compounding pharmacies, how we supervise them. And what we're talking about here is providing drug for a larger population, not for individual patients. The, the whole compounding pharmacy business was built on the idea that they would do very specialized things for individual patients, but not provide drug for thousands of patients. And in this case, we're talking about you know, large numbers of patients needing drug, and it's just not the right solution. I think we need a well-regulated but, but efficient generic industry, and that's not something we have right now. So to sum up, what, what do you think needs to be done to ensure that there's an adequate supply of essential drugs? Well, I think there, there are a number of things. I did suggest some of them in that uh, article. I think that we have to uh, restore competition to the generic market. Part of the problem which Congress is going to look into uh, in the next uh, few months is, is the issue of whether purchasing is uh, the purchasers, the, the, the hospital purchasing organizations, uh, or what they're called GPOs, group purchasing organizations, are restricting competition unnecessarily, whether the prices being paid to the manufacturers are being held down unnecessarily, that uh, a, an increase in price would encourage people to get into the market and produce competition whether we could encourage foreign manufacturers to enter the market. Some of them are you know, among the best drug makers in the world. Uh, organizations like Sanofi and Novartis, which are European firms, might be encouraged to come into this market if, if they could make a profit. Uh, and they're certainly capable of making the drugs. Um, and I think that just uh, you know, a, a, some public uh, pressure on the drug makers to upgrade their facilities and assure that th they can make a drug once they're given the, the uh, right to, to provide it and approval uh, for the market. So I think all of those things could be helpful. Thank you, Dr. Chabner.